Welcome to another episode of Let There Be Talk. It is January 10th, a Monday, and my voice is almost back into action, feeling a lot better. Welcome to the show today. Thank you for tuning in every week. Let There Be Talk brought to you by CactusRadioNetwork.com for all your podcast needs. At home with Byron Katie. Dark Fonzie, The Grail, and Let There Be Talk, CactusRadioNetwork.com. Morning, everybody. Glad you are here. We have a fantastic guest today, a legend on the turntables. Mr. DJ Lord is joining me, sitting down and talking all things hip-hop. You know I love Public Enemy. If you've listened to this show for years, it is probably my uh, all-time Favorite hip hop group. I mean, let's let's just be honest. Fear the Black Planet. Of course, a lot of people think Nations is the one, but for me, it was really Fear the Black Planet and the collab with Spike Lee on the film "Do the Right Thing." That whole era of Public Enemy is just mind-boggling to me. I went to see him live. On that era at the shoreline with Digital Underground opening. And it just changed my whole my whole world of just wow, this is this is another fantastic, you know, world to dive into musically. Anyway, something cool happened a few weeks ago. I was uh, asked to open for Metallica. We've talked about that on the bonus episode on Patreon. And it was uh, one of the most incredible things ever to happen to me in my life. It was probably the tops of all tops. And I cannot think of anybody better to do it with than DJ Lord. We did not know each other. He was asked to DJ the show. I was asked to host and do comedy. And they threw us together, said, put together a show, and boom, that's what we did. So it was great to sit down with DJ Lord and talk about how that came about talk about his history uh, on the turntables, how he got started out in Savannah, Georgia, moving to Atlanta, Professor Griff, opening some doors for him. And next thing you know, he's out there with Public Enemy, Cypress Hill, Prophets of Rage, working his ass off, solid, solid human, great friend. So going to be an incredible episode today for you. Before we go any further... I want to say a, uh, a it, it's it's a just a horrific day yesterday. Bob Saget had passed away out of nowhere at 65 years old. And we have lost a comedic legend, a, a very funny human, a solid human. And the comedy world is buckling today. I just, I just, I can't believe it. First Norm, now Bob, these guys... I mean, look, we know people die, but 65, these guys are going too soon, and, and we need them more than ever right now in this just crazy, harsh world of uh, evil people out there. You know, we need the funny, we need to laugh, and God, Bob Saget, man, great, great human. I've, I talked to him a few times at the comedy store. And it was always just, you know, smile on my face. Like, that's Bob Saget, man. The guy's a fucking crusher. He died out on the road. 
And it looked like he was very happy from his uh, Instagram post from the night before that he was out doing stand-up. And I, uh, you know, that's probably how I'd want to go out working, doing some show somewhere that I'm doing what I love. So Bob Saget, we love you, man. And we will miss you. And thank God we have hours and hours of all of your great comedy. Thank you, Bob Saget. I want to uh, tell you guys real quick here. I just got added to La Jolla Comedy Store this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I lost those gigs in Springfield, Illinois due to some regulations out there. But I will be able to perform at La Jolla Comedy Store, which is going to be fun as hell. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this weekend. So go to La Jolla Comedy Store website or the Comedy Store website. Get tickets right away. All my tour dates are at deandelray.com. Also, lots of great merch. Get your merch. Come on, people. You're always asking, oh, where can I get merch? It's at the website, deandelray.com. Also, all the bonus episodes and Zoom Fest can be had at the patreon.com slash deandelray. Support Let There Be Talk and Cactus Radio by joining my Patreon. It greatly, greatly helps. Uh, brand new Patreoners. Uh, let's see who we got here. Ag Ag. A-G-A-G. Ag Ag. Thank you for joining Patreon. Kenneth D. Butler Jr. Bumped up his pledge. Thank you, brother. And Jonathan Reeves also joined the Patreon. I love you guys. Candles are lit Let's get into it right now. This is episode number 628. Thank you, people. 2022. Let's keep it positive out there. Mr. DJ Lord. Oh, shit. Yeah. DJ, DJ Lord on the tables. What is happening, my man? I'm good, bro. Dean Del Rey on the microphone. <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I mean, that's my go-to. Like, I always felt that uh, Chuck D was the ultimate hip-hop voice, you know? Oh, yes. Uh, Chuck D and, and, and Ice Cube. I, th- I mean, you know, I mean, I could say Biggie, too. But it was always uh, Chuck D, you know, word. You know, he just had that, that deep, commanding that baritone, bro, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like that, that late night radio host, low you to sleep voice and or either your dad telling you to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know, you just immediately at attention. So, yeah, yeah Don, Don Cornelius, one of the greatest voices ever. And uh, just the way you come on. That was fantastic. I really like same principle. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. It draws you in. There's something about that. I don't have that. Uh, my speaking voice is basically just like you know, like a monster. <laughs> Don't get me started on mine. Yeah, I'm a DJ, so it's like I just, the struggle is real. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> how how where are you? Are you at home? I'm at home, bro. I'm in well, my ATO home. I'm in the Rebel base, as you can see. You got Bob over there. I beat him up every other day. My martial art training dummy. Wow. Um, you might see that up there. Notice that. Oh yeah, uh, the metallic. that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I'm here, man. Just working on stuff and getting getting the groove on, getting ready for 2022. 
Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's amazing that, uh, I, I love how the, the world works, you know, uh, I, I got turned on to hip hop at, I think like around the seventh grade or sixth grade, I used to go to this, uh, all black boys camp, uh, boys mm -hmm. club camp and yeah. Oakland boys club put on camp Mendocino. And, uh, that's where I really learned about the the ground zeros of hip hop being like uh, kids passing tapes around and mm -hmm. they were, you know, they were listening to craft work and they were listening to, uh, you know, early stuff that wasn't hip hop, but they were popping into it and everything. And then yeah, here comes, you know, the the birth of hip hop, of course, with the world in the Bay Area to me it was uh sugar hill gang you know that that single big single it was at every party at the same time ted nugent was playing so yeah. it was an interesting thing that was wow. going on yeah you would go from <laughs> you go from like a richard pryor record to mm -hmm. a acdc record to sugar hill gang sugar hill gang earth wind and fire cheech and chong it was uh it was all um yeah, that's a good that's that that's a nice little salad man that's a nice little diverse salad yeah it really was it really was and i think that was from growing up in the right area the bay area you know where it was a, a melting pot uh you grew up where'd you grow up in uh savannah georgia so, so savannah georgia of all places it's about it's about three four hours away from here and um it's a, a completely different world and basically made a way out of no way there were no hip hop outlets. Um, got the trickle down effect from my cousin Bernard in Philly. Family's from Philly, so he would send me the mixtapes. That's all. That's all I had as, as far as being connected to hip hop. And even in Savannah, we were get, if your cousin is from New York, your cousin's in town. December, he's dressing with the leaves. He got the patch on the leaves or the two tone leaves or the Adidas with fat strings. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So. We got that kind of influence, but there was no direct link, uh, no, no, no direct hip hop link. And no, and, and there was, and you're 46, I believe I'm 55, but there was no hip hop radio back then. This was very yeah. underground, which to me is what attracted me to hip hop as much as uh, rock and metal was it was all mm. underground. It's hard to right. think about now. Hip hop is 100% fully engulfed into the into the culture of clothing uh lingo music film everything yeah. you know but back the then world. it was tape trading just like metallica you know it's just passing along stuff check this guy out man paris mm -hmm. well what's that oh check this out you know just different different uh, ways of getting your music and it felt really good back then you just get something it was so like whoa a cassette tape you know wasn't it crazy it was like uh my precious my precious and you hold on to it everyone wants to dub it oh yeah and sometimes you never get it back or still pop and you back to square one and did all of that dude yeah. all of that and uh even even public enemy i bought jeez i brought fear of a black planet at least seven times because you let people use it you never get it back yeah, you just never got it back. He was like, "Oh, it's mine now, my precious." Hold on to it, and that's how it was. That's exactly how it was. What was some of the first hip hop that you were turned on to? Because you are ten years younger than me. So, what was coming up the uh, pipe then? Sugar Hill Gang, of course. Yeah, Herbie Herbie Hancock, Grand Mixer, DST, Rocket, which was my first uh, first 
piece of vinyl that I actually bought with my own own money to raking yards, selling cans, whatever, but it was mine. Man, uh, those are basically the first, that was my general admission to the hip hop world, you know, having something like that. Cause you always heard uh, to the hip hop, the hibbit, the hibbit at the party, yeah, don't stop the rocket. So you learn that that becomes law. And then when Herbie Hancock came out with Rocket in that video in Grand Mixer DXT, DST, sorry, um, scratching, it just blew a hole in my brain, man. And then we had DJs like Jam Master J and uh, Jazzy Jeff, Grandmaster Flash, of course. Yeah. And yeah, that th- those are my beginnings. So out there in your beginning, Savannah, Georgia, it's, it's predominantly white. Was the because in around me, it just seemed like, uh, you know, white people, uh, Hispanics, Asians, black, everybody started listening to hip hop because it was uh, it was something that was getting the parties going, you know, and it was and it felt underground and and kind of dangerous, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and people were into it. And then once that the gangster rap hits. It's completely over with that. Is, <laughs> there's no looking back. I mean, once NWA hits and and of course, uh, Fear of the Black Planet, which is uh, not gangster rap, but it was definitely edgy and uh, game changer, game changer. Spike Lee putting the stuff up on the screen, getting the flavor out there. Uh, once all that stuff hits it, really, I've said this uh, over the last 11 years on this show that's when it became the new metal to me because mm. then I was like, Oh, this is what the, the level of edginess that they were doing is what like Metallica was doing and, mm-hmm. uh, and bands like that. All of a sudden it was like, Oh, well, there's just no, there's no barriers. This is whatever's dark and edgy to me. I'm on board. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole new, it was a whole new world when groups like NWA and Public Enemy dropped. You know, if you look at hip hop, it always has its phases. Yeah. Um, even now, it, it's it's kind of unfortunate that this particular phase has taken a long time to like, what's next? What's next? What's next? But you look at it, we had we had public we had the Public Enemies, we had the Beastie Boys, we had the Kwame with the polka dots, we had Big Daddy Kane, the high top fade. So we had the, the conscious era. We had the gangster rap era. We had the Daisy Age with De La Soul. And I can keep on going. Hip hop has different, goes through different phases. But this current stuff, you know, and not going not gonna to talk like the old man in the club. Right. But this current stuff is, to me, it has, um, it's, it's taken, a, taken a particularly long time to go to the next phase. You know, we still have the conscious rappers and MCs are still here the Kendrick Lamars, the J. Coles. But this particular, um, how can I put it without sounding crazy, this whole get rich or die trying blueprint that everyone's following and the auto tune and everything sounds the same. Um, it's taking a, take, a long time to figure out what's next, you know? And um, we'll see. Every generation thinks that the generation before them is whack. Yeah, of course, of course. So, that, so that's, I yeah. don't want to go into a tangent. These kids don't know about hip hop. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get into that. Yeah, because you know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I kind of got lost into what I would call the uh, bottle popping era. 
you know, yeah. the, the spin, the rim spinning and the bottle popping era. Once that right. hits, I'm kind of like, I don't really know what's going on. This is, uh, and, and, and it's, and I always often say it's, it's not the old man in me. It's the level of intensity that hip hop was before that hit. It Word. was like, I'm talking about dudes that are laying down. Look, man, I learned a lot of stuff from hip hop and I also enjoyed the intensity of it. Uh, mm -hmm. But once it gets into that, we're in the club and, you know, throwing money around and making it rain and stuff. I'm kind of like, yeah, that's fun for a little while. But um, what happens know. when the club closes? Yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I'm like you, I'm really curious to see where it goes next, because uh, right now we're kind of in that era where people aren't even really saying words. They're just like, get up, get you know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, Which is crazy. Yeah, Which it really, it, crazy, and, and it's kind of fun for a little while. You're like, this guy's not even saying anything. I love it. Right. Ah! <laughs> right. And before you know it, before you know it, it's a whole song of that. I know. I know. You know I know. I, I got I, I got a little problem with that. I got a problem with the, the lack of lyrical content. Right. And like, right. like you said, based on how I was raised with it and MCs actually took pride in saying something you know you have a voice and not saying that every song has to be a protest song but right say something say something <laughs> you have say a platform something. say something there's a lot going on you know good and bad say something that's all i'm that's all that's that's my point yeah it's funny um i think we we're talking about it at the metallica gig which we'll get into that in a minute but uh i even thought that last jay-z record a few years back there was incredible and uh what was that one called 444 yeah yeah i i like that record a lot because me too here, here's a billionaire uh i don't know how you find how to be edgy as a billionaire but he did it you know he did it yeah he did it. he spoke he spoke to the you know spoke to the the the, the grown man the grown woman of uh, the hip hop era, you know, and it went over a lot of people's heads. Big time, big time. Even 50, even Fifty Cent said something in reference to this you know, album is too grown or something like that. You know, too mature, too mature, because it went over a lot of people's heads. But that's hope, and he he's a prime example of, you know, evolving, evolving. And you listen to his older albums, and you see where he came from. He just completely just like. Brought it current, man, which was it's, it's, it's a brilliant album. I, I, I still bump that to this day. Same here. I did it a few months ago. I put it back on for about a week straight. I was like, God, mm -hmm. this thing is it's so good, man. So good. Once you get it in your your veins, how do you start to DJ? Do you right away think, OK, I want to be a DJ. Do you get some turntables? Do you figure out how to do this? How does this uh, happen for you? A lot of time alone. Yeah. <laughs> Only child? Uh, no. no. I was, uh, I'm the youngest. You know, I had three sisters, one brother, a lot of wasting my mom's money, a lot of Yo MTV raps, a yeah. lot of, uh, you know, shows like that. And like I said, the trickle down effect, dude, just a lot of just finding out who, who, who's, who's doing this thing called hip hop. You know, big shots out the alley out to 10, uh, DJ Jeff Nice, uh, and DJ Jahan, DJ Randy T. Hella, hella influences in Savannah because we are all we used to do parties and things like that. So we would find out, okay, what turntable do I need? Right. And we had to find out 
the hard way after spending a whole bunch of money and just not buying a right turntable, buying belt drive turntables, which are, you don't want that. You want a direct drive turntable. Uh, watching, you know, DJ Jazzy Jeff and Cash Money's album covers where they had pictures of the 1200. Oh, that's that turntable that I need. Yeah. Oh, that's my mom. Can I have that turntable? Can't afford that turntable. The turntable was 500 bucks. <laughs> and you need two. <laughs> and you need two of them and a mixer and yeah. a speaker and whatever yeah. else. Yeah. So, you know, um, just on that pursuit and got secondhand Sanyo or Morantz, you know, my uncle Raymond would help me out with that. He knew his equipment. And so I had like a Sanyo something and a Morant something. Well, first I had just a Sanyo by itself. And before that, I was, remember the old school TV with the stereo system oh, built yeah. in? And the, yeah, yeah, the console. <laughs> the, the console. console, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I started on, dude. You were in a console. <laughs> that's what I started. That and a, and a, and a freaking volume knob and about 75%, 70, 75 cents on the needle so that it wouldn't skip. Right, right, right. And my right. mom, my mom running in the room, punching me out every time because I was ruining her record. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was trying to get that that sound. I had to have that sound. And like I said, once I once I put a visual to it, game over. So that was my start. That's how I started. And I just kept building and getting more information on what the hell is this hip hop thing and award shows and more MTV and yo yo MTV raps and more more magazines and raking yards and doing parties and anything else I could do and chores to one day get to this level of getting a Technique 1200 so I can be a real DJ and scratch like it sounds and do it for real, for real. And one day I found, um, shouts out to my homie David, we went to a pawn shop and because I lived near a military base and there was a Technique 1200 in the pawn shop. Wow. And this this particular pawn shop I used to frequent. Um, this big guy who's always stood there. And what do you got? What do you kids want? Rah, 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 rah. This day he wasn't there. There was a substitute guy there. So this Technique twelve hundred was about two hundred and seventy. It was two hundred seventy five bucks. I remember that. I'll never forget that on a ticket. So I'm sitting like, oh man, we sitting Owen oh, and odd. I'm sitting looking at it like, yo. And David's like, go talk to the guy. I was like, well, what are you doing? Because David was always on some other, he was the, he was that guy when we were kids. So I went and talked to the guy. <laughs> David went back and swapped the tags. Oh no, that that's the old price, price tag switch. That's Dude, famous. He, that's my favorite. That's famous, the old school. So he told me it's done. It's done. Let's go. Let's go. Pick it up, put it up there. I like to get this turntable. I'm talking all fast and nervous. Yeah. Straight up amateur as fuck. And um the guy's like, yeah, it looks like uh, it's a cool little turntable. It looks, um, hmm, $75? Well, I guess that's what it is. Uh, $75, uh, sir. Wow. And I went, like, because <laughs> I just did a party, like, the night before or something. One house party. I rent equipment and everything and end up leaving with $75, you know, I, when it was all done. Shaking, giving the money. Have a good day, sir. Cool. We're out. I put this thing under my arm. I don't think I rode my bike that fast ever wow. as a child. And I, I used to race BMX, Super Goose. And oh, that was my man. first Technique 1200. Well, you raced BMX. Man. Yeah, I used to, on the Super Goose team. Yeah, I used to race BMX also. Oh, my God. That was a great time. That was a great time. What year's era were you riding? Was it late 80s or? That was like... 
way late eighties, dude. Um, let me see. That was like 1986, 87, yeah. 86, 87. I used to race super goose team at uh, Lake mayor in Savannah, Georgia. Dude, BMX is BMX is the first rock and roll, man. <laughs> Tell me about it. BMX and little league are really the intros to performing because mm-hmm. You're there and there's an audience and they're watching you and you're like, oh, I got to I got to win. I got to win. I got to win. I got to get it right. I can't yeah. fall. Yeah. All of that. Oh, as, man. A, as, as, as a kid. Yeah. And that's pressure, man. And BMX was a lot like hip hop. It had its own lingo, you know? Oh man, mm-hmm. that guy, that guy stacked it. Oh, what a squid. Total Chewbacca. Right. You know, everybody right, had right. these. BMX lingo for like bad riders and crashing and, you know, enduro, you know, endowed, oh, the guy endowed, you know, endowed. Right. That was it. That was That'd it. be a good hip hop song. Just old uh, uh, BMX terms. Instead of the making up words, it would sound like you were making them up. What a squid out there right. in the endo did a tabletop. <laughs> He's out there tabletopping. <laughs> some some would get it off the rip, though. Some would get it like that. Like, oh, are yeah. they talking BMX talk? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Stu Thompson would be like, that's my favorite. <laughs> right, right. Number one chart. When you get the turntable, let's let everybody know out there the difference between direct drive and belt because uh, people that are completely clueless to the gear and where the gear, I just want to get into the ground zero of the gear to where we are now because the gear now is insane. But what is the difference between the belt and the, and the direct drive? Well, the, the direct drive is, is basically motor driven. So the platter never stops just keeps going. Those are the ones that you need for scratching because you want a consistent spin. So you can put, you can have like a slip mat between the record and the platter that constantly spins. A lot of people think, oh, he's tearing up the, well, old school. He's tearing up the turntable. No, the, 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 the platter is still spinning. You're just basically making the mat go back and forth under the needle. You see what I mean? Platter's constantly moving, but when you release it, it picks you back up so we can release it back in real time. A uh, belt drive turntable, you know, you try to do that, and put weight on it. It's going to be like. Well, the belt, get the belt stops in there and, then, and, and you're yeah. done. Yeah. But I had to learn that. I had no idea. So I'm talking like Merry Christmas. And here you go. You always want a turntable. I go in a room and try to think is rigor, 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 you're right in the room. Shit. Losing my shit. Dude, I was I was relentless trying to figure it out, man. And I made mistakes like that, but it was all a part of the game. Yeah. But direct drive are the ones you want. You do not want belt belt drive turntables if you're you know pursuing turn ta- turntablism. So you get home, you get the uh, techniques home. There you are. You're off to the races. I'm off to the races. Also, you have to have a shitload of vinyl. People don't know back then you didn't have Serato and all this stuff. You had to have the vinyl. So now you got to start collecting your vinyl and also making your own, you know, your own thing instead of copying someone, you know? So back then everybody would comb old vinyl places, find a jazz loop that no one's heard. Right. I mean, that was the thing about creating these incredible beats for hip hop, you know? That's right. That's right. I mean, it's, it's wild. From the beginning, I, I had a jump on the vinyl part because um, 
you know, my family always in, into music. My mother always had a, a record collection. My uncle had a record collection. My cousins, I was telling you up north, had record collections. So I was always around music, even, even cleaning the house on Sundays. We always listened to music. My mom would have Marvin Gaye or all the Motown classics, Stevie Wonder playing while we cleaned the house. So I always had those rhythms in my head and, you know, in here. Now, when I got that 1200 home, I had my I had my rocket record, mind you. I, I didn't own a turntable, but my neighbor did. So I would take my record over there and and I'm in heaven. And then I've convinced them to let me try scratching over there. And that's that that was my release over there. So when I got that turntable home, I had to figure it out. I still didn't know what I needed to know. I didn't know the what slip mat, what particular needle that you know, was best for anti-skip. So it didn't skip all over the record. So there was still a process, even though I had the the the, the grand, incredible Technique 1200 now at my home, you know? So, but I did it and I, there was no going outside. I was still doing, you know, like martial arts and things back then. So I was always into a discipline, but even that took a backseat to this thing now in my, in my, in my room. And I would terrorize my entire family because all they heard is <laughs> no other beat, no music playing. I don't know how to put scratch with the song. I'm just trying to get this thing down. <laughs> what the fuck is this sound coming out of your room? Go out and play. Destroying your needles. And your destroying the needles, destroying yeah. the records, going into my mom's Motown collection. Oh. Just trying to find sounds because hip hop was in full swing. So now you're hearing DJs cut Christmas sounds. You're hearing, here comes Santa Claus. Here, here, here comes Santa Claus. We got that record. We got that record. I don't get that record. It's a 78. Yeah, so it's 78. Hell, right. Yeah. It's heavy as hell putting it on there. So, dude, it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of trial and error coming up coming up out in Savannah, Georgia, trying to be a DJ. And as far as like finding your own unheard of back, starting out, everyone bites. You you bite until you figure out your own. Of course. There's, so when they say there's nothing new under the sun, especially with turntablism or pretty much anything else for that matter. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I've, a lot of my influences, I went and, you know, a lot of influence I learned from, they're my peers now. And I don't hesitate to let them know that, hey, man, Dude, I gotta, you know, I gotta give you because many a time I didn't eat lunch because I went and bought your record. You know, it's either buy eat lunch for the day or, or buy this 12-inch single at Turtle Records for Starship. And I would buy the single and have to act like I wasn't hungry until dinner time. Cause my mom was like, you didn't, you know, my, my mom would flip out. So it's just crazy how 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 things happen and how I see a lot of my influences on the road and things like that, and they're still doing it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about uh, like you growing up on Public Enemy and now mm -hmm. being the DJ for Public Enemy and me growing up with Metallica and then opening for Metallica. Those type of things are so crazy to me and full insanity. Circle. It insanity. is insanity. I mean, just imagine the first time you're up on stage and you kick in to fight the power. It has to be just 
so unreal to you, you know, just <laughs> I got mind blowing stories about that. I mean, yeah, because yeah. um, even when I got the gig, Public Enemy uh, 98, 99, it, um, it was it was it wasn't real because I grew up on Public Enemy. And they didn't know that I grew up on public enemy and I knew Terminator extra scratches like the back of my hand. They had no idea. They just had, you know, a guy and, you know, shouts out to Professor Griff. He's the one that brought me in. Oh, he's the one that brought you in. Yeah. Griff, Griff, um, we, uh, through my roommate, Rockmos, we, uh, we, we lived in a house with like seven of us, bro. Everyone trying to make it like in Atlanta. yeah, right. I, like two years after I moved from Savannah and I was doing the whole nine to five thing, I moved in with them and everyone was trying to be, you know, there was a singer there. There was a producer. There was like a few rappers. There was we were all in this one big double decker house in Decatur, Georgia, and everyone had a mission. And um, Rockmos caught me putting on my tie going to Radio Shack. <laughs> I was working at Radio Shack and I worked. Yeah, I worked at Radio Shack downstairs and Foot Locker upstairs. So I, I came to work in the tie and I put the polyester stripes in the backpack. Yeah. You don't have to iron. You don't have to iron the polyester. You can do Clark Kent, Superman, Clark Kent, Superman. That was, that was my jam when I first moved to Atlanta. Wow. That was my jam. Had one job to pay the bills, one job to go out. If you're going to go out in Atlanta, that's law. So I'm putting on my tie. Rock was like, Hey man, Griff, you know, grass spoke to Griff and public enemy needs a DJ. I'm putting on my tie and getting dressed and everything. And he want to know if you can do it. I'm not, I'm thinking he's fucking with me, you know, like, dude, that's funny. I'm gonna make it, man. You fuck with me. And I'm trying to see, I'm trying to get it work. That shit ain't funny. Fuck you do whatever. Boom, slam the door. I'm on to work. Come home from work. Who's in the living room? No. DJ Lord. Hey man, what's up, Griff? Yeah, man, what's up? Hey, um, check this out. I heard about you. Rockmost told me about you and saw you in a few battles in Atlanta. Terminator X is retiring. We need a DJ for public enemy. You think you can handle it? Wow. Yeah, man. <laughs> wow. Just like that, huh? Just like that. After that, one week to expedite my passport, one week to learn this instant replay thing, machines, this okay. little box thing that everyone uses and radio stations, everything that holds music. Yeah. Third week, headed to Belgium, no rehearsal. Wow. Boom. No shit. Green as an apple, nervous, pressing the wrong button, cueing the wrong songs, watching the show, getting consumed at the show, watching Chuck and Flavor, because I grew up on Public Enemy. Yeah. They were my heroes. So pressing the wrong song, everyone's like, oh, oh, there we go, the young guy again, except Chuck and Flavor. Everyone gave me shit except Chuck and Flavor. Chuck is like, ain't going to the, you know, I pressed the wrong song, he do that song, you know, can't go back, can't go back. So about two weeks of that, about two weeks of that, and dude, Chuck's like, every time, come on, man, we get him next time, we get him next time, flavor, we come on, Lord, we get him next time, G, no big deal, come on, Lord. Wow. More encouragement, more encouragement. I'm overseas. I've never been overseas. The food is different. The people are different. The vibe is different. The time zone is different. Yeah. I'm young, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't until I decided to be DJ Lord or DJ Lord of Swad back then, um, that I got it. I was so busy trying to be Terminator X and get back in the pocket. By that time, you know, no disrespect to Terminator X, but I was a turntablist and I was battling and a lot of the sounds and everything, I was doing live. I didn't record them. There were no studio tricks. They were just live and I was raw, but I was so busy trying to be him, you know, that I was basically suppressing myself. So I figured out, 
to, I figured out how to do like say Rebel Without a Pause with the rock and roll. My version was like rock turntable style, which is a whole nother level of scratching. So I would figure I would do four bars his way, four bars my way. And I got it. It's like, why weren't you doing that before? Because in doing the show, I'm in my own head trying to do him. I'm not Terminator X. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So once I figured that out, Chuck is like, you're not going back to the old way. You bring a breath of fresh air to the group. Welcome to the family. Wow. 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 Just like that. Just like that. Now, at the time in 98, is Professor Griff still in Public Enemy? He was still in Public Enemy. And he was kind of the guy that was in charge of like finding the new DJ. Like Chuck mm-hmm. wasn't like, I got to find a DJ. Wow. Griff would take on that job. Even with the, when we got the band, Griff went and scout, you know, scouted out the band when we had a live band with us. Right. Right. Um, they're literally called the band B A N N E D and Griff, Griff jobs go out and recruit these guys and bring them just to rehearsals. And we give them a shot and some made it, some didn't. And we got a tight band and we went to we hit the road. But yeah, I met Griff and because he knew Rockmost, he did Rockmost did production for him. And I would thought Rock was bull. I thought he was like bullshitting me. And I was all pissed, putting on my tie and slamming the door that morning because I'm I'm trying to make it. I'm really I'm I'm doing martial arts at night. I got two jobs. I just moved from Savannah. Everyone's telling me this is a place to be to make it. It's not happening. You know, I'm in Atlanta. He's like, I don't you know, everyone in Savannah's like, you'll be back. They always they always come back. You're not going to make it. And that's during the Hotlanta era. Like, you know, they uh, like people know there's different hip hop uh, explosions. You know, you had New right, York. Right, right, you right. Had, right. You, had, you know, you had, uh, you know, Compton and all of the uh, gangster rap era of that stuff. Then you had Oakland was uh, popping off for a while. And then Hotlanta, Hot Atlanta was just crazy. That whole Buckhead area was full hip hop, you know? Yep, yep. Had a lot of clubs. Clubs aren't, they're all gone. <laughs> they're all gone right now. Was Griff living in Atlanta at the time? Yep. Wow. He still lives there. And when you get the gig, I always like to ask this, but because I never ask, but when people say you want to do something, you know, I go, oh, yeah, I just say, yeah. <laughs> Later on, do you go, hey, what's the money? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you don't. You, yeah, I had I, I had no interest in it. It's yep. like you say you want to do it. OK, yeah. Hey, yeah. always five dollars a gig. OK, it's yeah. like I'm in. Yeah. I'm yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. See you later, Foot Locker. Right. I didn't find out the money until I actually got paid. And wow. I was like, well, this is cool. You get paid for this too. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't a factor. He said, he said, let's go. I said, gone. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, obviously I didn't realize the magnitude of it because I once I got out there, I was like, what did I do? You know, and um a lot of lot of nights up, man. A lot of lot of conversations with Chuck on that tour bus three, four in the morning on the way to like Germany and places like that. And Chuck just, he was, we call him Superman, bro. And then, you know, that's my brother. And he showed, he showed me the ropes from A to Z. I'm talking everything from meeting people on the road to how to deal with people on the road and just road etiquette, just road etiquette, all the whole nine. And um, Public Enemy is respected worldwide. And a lot of lot, lot of the newer guys, a lot of the Tupacs and the the Naughty by Natures and the NWAs and you know, they they went out with Public Enemy right as like as newbies, you know, and were shown the ropes. I mean, even when Tupac was dancing, 
you know, background dancer with Digital Underground. That's when I saw him, yeah. Way back to, way back to that. Yep. And everyone just grew up on the road as yep. family. Yeah, I saw Public Enemy on the Fight the Power, Do the Right Thing, you know, combo era, mm -hmm. um, Shoreline, Public Enemy, yeah. Digital Underground with Tupac. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Ray Love opened. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest shows I've ever seen, you know, Public Enemy. Put it down. Dudes like Chuck D and, and Ice Cube, they really understood right away. Oh, survival. You know, right. you want to survive in this business. You got to figure out how to survive. And then once That's you do, right. they pass it on to people. And if they listen, they listen. If they don't, they don't. You know, even down to, you know, cupping the microphone like that, you know, get your, hand, <laughs> get your hand off the fucking element. Dude. Fucking mic, I remember, dude. I remember, I remember uh, uh, Ice Cube was like, first thing I tell everyone, get your hand off the element. You know, it's stop, so stop cupping the mic. Stop cupping the mic. So after you do this Europe run, what starts to happen? They come home and you're just a member all of a sudden? We come home. It happens. It becomes a blur. And I'm back to the nine to five thing. Well, really? Yeah. Because remember, Public Enemy wasn't touring like that. Public Enemy was touring, touring in spurts. So you can't go and go off and be a rock star somewhere, especially not you, young guy, young grasshopper who just moved from Savannah, Georgia, who's living in a house with like seven other groups trying to make it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I, I managed to get out of that situation and into my own apartment. I was able to do that at least. Right. But um, it wasn't enough to say, OK, boom, I'm going to be a DJ. I'm going to travel the world because they weren't touring like that. So I had to go back into the corporate world as Lord Aswad, who is secretly the DJ for Public Enemy on tour whenever they tour, because they ain't touring. So I gotta, I gotta code it in. So I'm in there by this time, I've already passed the footlocker and Radio Shack. So now I'm in Crawford and Company. I'm working because I was able to bless with the, you know, the glasses and the I can cut the beard or kick goatee or whatever. And I know how to speak to people. And I was always good at customer service and things like that. So I got a job at Crawford and Company calling Sanjay Gupta every day to set up Echo, the Sanjay Gupta, the doctor, heart doctor, calling them every day to set up echocardiograms for a big lawsuit, the diet drug Finfin. Fin. If you remember those late night commercials, take right. Finfin, Fin, lose weight, get ready for the summer. So and so and so, be beautiful. They didn't tell you that that shit deteriorates your heart from the inside out. Oh, blows up your heart. There was a big lawsuit. My job was to contact Sanjay Gupta to see, to let him know the claimants I have that qualify to be in the settlement to get them a free echocardiogram to see if they qualify. Right, right. It was a mission. Now, all this is after me coming off tour back and forth, like every other four, like three weeks, we tour, then another four weeks off. So I'm like, oh my God, I gotta get a job. I gotta, I need insurance. I gotta get my teeth cleaned. Another lump sum money is great, but that money gets done fast. Quick. So yeah. quick. So, and I'm young. So I couldn't get past people. I would be calling rural areas, Crawford and Company, this is Lord. Who? Crawford and Company, this is Lord. Is that your real name? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. This is Lord. I'm trying to get you some money. See if you qualify for echocardiogram, get your screen at the local YMCA. So you're in Iowa. Is that really your name? <laughs> yes, ma'am. That's my name. 
I'm not going to call you that. Is there anybody else that I can help me with my echocardiogram? Um, ma'am, I'm actually the supervisor. I'm just trying to get you screened to see if you qualify. We're trying to get you some money because, you know, these big, bad echo, be fin fin people trying to get you a check. I'm not going to call you that. I need to speak to our manager, ma'am. I am the manager. Can I help you? On my call log, you know, customer service, when they check you out at the end of the month, my call log was like this. And my my boss was like, Lord, you mind telling me why your call log is down? I mean, what are you doing on these phone calls? It looks like you're just fucking off. You know, I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm yeah. having, I'm tongue wrestling with people about my name. Oh, man. I never can get past the intro of my name. Wow. So I start, you know, okay, Crawford and Company, this is L.A. Yeah. Yeah. L.A. Boom. Yeah. This is L.A. Crawford and Company, this is L.A. <laughs> Done deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need an echocardiogram. I took the diet drug and I'm having problems. And da, da, da. Boom. That was my job. That was my job in and out on tour and back. And I luckily I had a cool supervisor that kept it under wraps. So I would take leave of absence. Yeah, that's a cool job. You got to, you know, the way to survive in art. I always tell love people that say, like, I'm not getting no job. I'm the real deal. And I'm like, well, that, <laughs> yeah, that ain't going to happen because you're going to be putting weight on all kinds of other people living on their couches and bumming money. But when you find that magic boss and I always thought that they should have a special place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the cool boss. You know, oh I had the cool boss. He goes, look, dude, you're my best motorcycle seller. But I got to lay you off, man, uh, because I saw you do comedy and I know <laughs> this is what you should be doing. It's going to cost me a lot of money, but I'm going to lay you off and you can get out there and, you know, and, and hustle. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And those bosses that would let you come and go back in the day when I had long hair, when you had long hair back in the day, you couldn't work anywhere except construction. Now you can have like <laughs> a full face tattoo and work at Chipotle, you know, oh <laughs> but back then, man, it was like, you know, if you could find a cool boss that let you split out and do public enemy, then all the stress is gone. Cause you're like, okay, I can right. concentrate on work when I'm here for this guy. And then when I go out with PE, I can concentrate on that. Dude, I did that. That was me in a nutshell. And luckily, and crazy how you say with the hairstyles, I had dreads in Savannah. Yeah, I was I was a I was 17 working construction with hardened 60 year old men laying, laying, doing foundation work and uh, insulation coming home, itching everything because I couldn't get another job. Right. I had full on dreads. And you need your look. You know what I mean? You got to have your look. look. Yeah. Right. But definitely big shouts out to the cool bosses, bro. And only thing I had to do, I didn't have to do it, but I would bring them stuff from like around the world. I would bring um, one female boss brought her like a silk scarf and I would bring Jerry, my other boss. I'll bring him like something from Uruguay or something from Spain or something from just, just to show a token of my appreciation. Cause they will let me just get right, come right back with my ties and, you know, shirt and get right back to my desk, have a stack of paperwork. No one would say a thing until the haters arrive. That's what happens. I had People start noticing yeah. Lord is not here. How does Lord get to leave so much? How does Lord get to do this? How does Lord get to do that? Yeah. So they kept them at bay for a while, and then the project we we complete we didn't complete the project, but the project shrunk. We got a lot of the work done, so the office went from like twenty cubicles to like ten. You see what I mean? And then my boss got another job, and their boss got another job. So now we got a new smoking gun that came in, and 
they're trying to figure out how does he get the leave and all this leave of absence stuff. You see what I mean? So he called, he, he made me his priority. And, but when, it, by the time it was all over, I left and came back and I was getting, you know, getting every morning, my stuff is stacked up. I see him walk past. Oh my God, I can't believe this in my office. Now I turn around, get up, go to this guy's office. Lord, you mind telling me how to, you don't, he found out from the haters, of course. Of course. And I knew exactly who it was. I knew exactly who it was. And it's like, you don't, you don't take a leave of absence to go on tour, Lord. Yeah, yeah. And he just, he's calling himself drilling. But by this time, again, we started, I started this when the office was like 24. Now it's like four cubicles, you know, me and a few higher ups. We're closing the last cases of this big multi-million dollar lawsuit that we won on so he took his this was his time to get me back and and miss deborah the boss who hired me she was in there and she was just like because she knew what was coming and she tried to give me a heads up and um i was like you done yeah i'm done because you don't you just you don't okay and i stood up and hugged miss deborah she started you know tearing up because she brought me in. I, I'm, we're talking three years of this, Dean. And um, I packed like the movies. Got my little box crate. Yeah. <laughs> got my got my got my uh, things at, at my desk and everything. Put it all inside there. My flavor flav, my chutney guy. Put it all in the box, and I was out. And I jumped full on in the cold pool of hip hop and being a full on DJ, and never turned back. That was my last job that I had, my last corporate job. That's great. And I, what, I, what I was year like, was that? oh, sheesh. That was, um, that was like, like 2001 that I full on, like, you know what, bro, either you're going to jump in this cold pool and you know what happens with the cold pool is once you get in, oh man, this water's great. But in the beginning, you're yeah. Yeah. shit's gonna be cold for going and you jump in but by the time you warm up you're good so it's like are you gonna do this or not right and i and i jumped in and that was my last corporate job bro that was it that was definitely 2000 2001 once once you get into that public enemy starts to tour a lot more also yeah a, a year after that so it took me a lot of floating around like you said right and do do you start to do some kind of like like guest spinning on people's records or how are you collecting up some work? What's going on there? I was doing everything. Right. I was trying to be, you know, club DJ. Right. And I started, you know, working at MJQ. I still have a residency at MJQ to this very day, which is crazy. Yeah. On every uh, last Friday of the month called uh, The Standard. So I was doing little small clubs and, you know, around the city. By this time, I wasn't, I just, I was just wrapping up the whole DJ battle thing. So I think I stopped battling in 2001 and they had, they, they had DJ competitions where you could win money, you know, like the cool mix. It was a cigarette, it was a cigarette company. So it was short lived. I mean, <laughs> sounds, sounds like a joke, but the protesters weren't having that shit. So, but they helped a lot of bedroom DJs, you know, eat because they were offering like $2,500 for first place and, and $500 in records at your local record store. And then the grand prize is like 10000 and the grand grand prize, you can win a Scion. They had that going on, dude. And like I said, they were a godsend. It's cigarette companies, but 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Save my ass. Okay. I'm going to say that. I'll put that on the record. I did a lot of Lucky Strike gigs when they, See, reissued, like when that. they reissued that brand Lucky Strike, you know, it'd be like, oh, Lucky Strike concert series. And they're giving you like 5,000 to do a gig, which is unheard of. You know? Right. Same, same principle. Same thing yeah. I was doing. So I was doing that. Then I started doing some work with like Red Bull or Red Bull was doing a lot of functions and I was tied in with them. So I was staying afloat with, you know, with things that would come my way. I didn't have a manager per se, but I had people looking out for me that were in those positions. And I got a list of individuals that I've been, I still, like I said, I, I still thank people to this day who think I forgot. I would think I'm out of nowhere. Like, you know what, man, that time when you called me, I was, I was mastering my ability to remix ramen noodles you know i'm a ramen noodle champ dude i never used the packet but the noodles and the imitation crab meat or with the egg or survival of the fucking fittest so um yeah i had to i had, I had to get i had to get um i had to get smart with it i had to get i had to get on my shit and um yeah yeah it's funny too also what happened uh in the world you know, we had the hip hop DJ and they were the Kings. And then all of a sudden this world of the Vegas residency DJ Ooh. came in, you know, DJ AM and these guys started to make their name for themselves. And really uh, when, when all of the, the, you know, that, that thing of just, you know, putting songs together, and mm -hmm. that whole thing came together, you know, of like the collab of all the songs and stuff and the mashup, the, the mashup. And and then the kind of Ibiza house mm. music meets hip hop DJ started happening. And then the costume DJs with the helmets or, or <laughs> you, you know, mass and stuff, all of yeah. that stuff really started to overshadow the true hip hop DJ because it became about giant money at Vegas residencies. Right. Yeah. Right. It's wild to think about how, where that went. And then the anger of like, uh, people just going like, Oh, fuck them. It was like, well, what, do you, what, do you, what do you care, man? Like, oh, they fucking make $5 million. They fucking they don't do nothing. They push buttons, whatever, man. But, Hey, they pushed the right button, man. They won. But I get it, you know? What are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? You know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But it is uh, amazing. My point of that is where it came from actual DJing to where it the level it got to, which is crazy, mm -hmm. right? It like, is. I, I it mean, is. these dudes are full stars in Vegas. Giant stars. Global stars. So, you know, Glo global stars. Yeah, um, I was never really able to get in into that whole Vegas scene. I did have there was one time that I almost got into it. Body English. Right. It's a place oh, yeah. called Body English yep. out there when, when AM. I think AM was going to pure. And uh, by this time, I had a manager who was trying to get me into that whole Vegas scene. Because back then it was like, oh, my gosh, we couldn't believe it. That was the ultimate yeah, that's the ultimate work smarter, not harder. And we're hearing a lot of DJs of less lesser caliber. We're getting these crazy gigs and flying in on a private jet and staying in the bowling ball suite and yeah. bringing friends. And it's like, what? 
We're doing Paris what? Hilton was fucking DJing. Paris Hilton. Like, we were what? like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. So I was supposed to get DJ AM's job, you know, rest in peace, DJ AM. And he was going to Pure. Pure was the new, there was a new club in Vegas at the time. Right. And I'd already been there and met the guy and I'm seeing the car. These are dope cars. And, and uh, the guy's like, oh, these are DJ's cars. You know, what do you see? What do you see the other car? I'm talking Lamborghinis, everything parked on the side. So I've already did the walkthrough and everything, bro. And um, we get a call saying, um, yeah, but no. What do you, what do you mean, no? We got the, the paperwork's already in. We're, we're, we're ready to go. Yeah. Apparently, my affiliation with Public Enemy got me denied the job. Wow. Yeah, I think it was like a big thing involving like some politician that was supposed to DJ for it or something. Something involving politics for some new guy out there. And, and I was booked to do the that gig, which was leading into my residency there. And the public enemy affiliation got me denied. Because the only thing they saw is public enemy and fight the power and government. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is going to be trouble. It's gonna yeah, be my manager at the time is trying to explain. No, 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 no. He does this. He does. He battles. He spins club music. He spins dubstep. He does EDM. He does. He can do all. He can, he's he's a DMC champion. He's a, they weren't hearing that shit. The only thing they saw, the only thing they saw was that target, and they were like, Nah, 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 bro. And I was, I was, I was crushed. I was crushed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I could imagine. You know, it's like uh, because those are big, big paydays that allow you to do other great art in your life. You oh know, like you could just from there on out, do whatever you want to do because you're just in like, in, yeah, in Vegas. And no one knew I was pretty much unheard of on that side of the world. Yeah. Now, if they went crazy over this, my, my thing, our thinking was this, if they went crazy over this, where did they get it? Wait until they get a load of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. you're, you're freaking insane. You can do all of that. Plus, because yeah. you got all these backgrounds, you got the EDM background, you got the hip hop foundation, you got the, you listen to rock, you spin rock, you got routines with rock, you, you, you're 360. Even back then, Sandra was saying this, and it's like, but I never got in that door. And once that happened, it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth about Vegas, so I focused back over this hip hop world again. And just dove head first into the public enemy. It's like, okay, you guys are afraid, afraid. Okay, I'm, I'll show you. <laughs> I will show yeah. you. Yeah. And that was that was my whole thinking with that. Just go get them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I left that whole Vegas thing. It's kind of it's kind of cooled off anyway. It's like you don't really hear about that stuff as much as you did. I mean, the DJs are still out there, but it's not like yeah. you know they've kind of circled back, which is funny to live music. You know, right. They, and look, right. here you are. You're in the right platform for that, you know? Full circle. Isn't that crazy? How It's crazy how shit works like that. Bro. Yeah, yeah. Before, they're like, nobody wants to see instruments. They just want a guy up there and a, a mouse head. So uh, just, yeah, okay, you know? It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Let's get into a little bit of the history of the equipment because uh, I was spinning in the 2000s in clubs in L.A., uh, to survive, to keep playing music. I was like mm -hmm. a, a rock DJ. There was like Samantha Ronson, DJ AM was around, um, all, all these different people. We were spinning in clubs. And, you know, that was like when Serato first started happening and I was using Tractor early on and stuff like that. Game and, changers. Yeah, game changers, leaving the vinyl at home. Ooh. 
That's when I was able to DJ because I only had a motorcycle. I couldn't put vinyl up on the bike. (laughs) I would just show up with the computer and and DJ. So let's go in through the history of that. So a lot of people, if you know, there was vinyl and you had the two tables and you had to have your vinyl and you would put the fucking vinyl together and make the Mm -hmm. tune. Then this program comes out called Serato. And basically you'd have a, you could have a fake piece of vinyl Mm -hmm. and, and just scratch off stuff in your, in your uh, music catalog. Right. Right. So when that starts to come and it's a whole new era, because the reason I wanted to talk about this was I saw recently you were talking about some, I've been way out of it for years now, but there's like fake needles now and stuff. What? What's going on? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it was. I just saw you were talking about there's like some kind of a uh, new setup. I know what you talk. Phase. Yeah. Phase with the little uh, signal, the little signals on the on top of the platter, on the on the record. Right. Man, since Serato dropped, shouts out to Serato. Big time. Oh my god. Big, Big time. time. The whole game changed, and um, I was also one of those that carried crates and crates of records even when i started getting gigs abroad you know overseas airlines would start smiling when they would see me come and do it for a bag baggage fees 150 bucks here 75 bucks there yeah and you just walking through the airport just uncomfortable as fuck and oh. like backpack and all this other shit um and i was one of those diehard vinyl fans and i'm like even when serato was out i was like because you know other DJs always cheating. It's just that we were completely confused. I remember is a is a is a, is a, is a better term. You know, everyone's saying DJs who used it, they was hating on the guys that were using it. I, you know, I wasn't hating on it, but I was like, you know, it's not for me. I'm a purist, and I like vinyl, and I still love vinyl. Still got my vinyl collection. Well, it's trimmed down and neat now with all the. You know, <laughs> I don't have a room full of records anymore with my friends ignoring my calls when I move, when it's time to move. Oh, they know I hear that you. You're going to be sore as fuck. So, um, dude, but um, I was one of those guys. And um, I think my last time having that mentality was in Boston. It's DJ Revolution and I were doing a gig and we were headlining back to back. And I come in there with my silver cases, you know, my Joker stickers on it and everything. And boom, boom, boom. DJ Laura's in the house. I got <laughs> the opening guy had Serato because Serato was not cheap. Okay. Number one. So if you had, if you bought it, you had to commit to it. Or unless you had like a, a link in it. And not many people were endorsed by Serato. They were very selective on who I was one of the last. Okay. So. Somehow the opening guy had a Serato box and a laptop. So I'm like, all right, you know, I, I wanted to give him shit. But in my head, I'm like, yeah. oh, shit, he got this it. guy's fake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was in the back of my head because we didn't understand it. Okay. Right, right. This guy played 80% of my record collection and he was the opening DJ. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Kicked me in the nuts, humbled me quickly. Wow. Luckily, I was able to scratch and bring records back and get on the mic. Whoa, who wants to hear it again? Scratch, 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 scratch to extend my set for the records that he didn't play and let it come off, you know, versus, damn, opening guy played that song. Oh, opening guy played that song. Oh, he played that too. Oh, he played that one too. You're the headliner. What are you doing? How is he smoking you? Yeah. 
after that, hey, Serato, hey, it's DJ Lord, man. Um, I love your product. And, <laughs> and I got cool with Serato, dude. Yeah. And after that, it was like, I dove full on it. I still, I st- like I said, I still play vinyl. I still collect, you know, eclectic pieces of vinyl, like, you know, classic pieces. I still got my my diehard collection that I learned on. But, dude, the, the digital age is here. And um, either you get with it or get left behind like the dinosaurs and you see what happened to them. So I have no problem with the digital age. I embrace it. I love the new technology. I love the phase technology. Blew my mind when I first saw it. What is the phase technology? It's basically uh, like little, little, um, they're like like that. They go over the spindle on the turntable. Right. And they, they spin with the turntable and they send a signal to a little hub that they have. And it's wireless now. The, the latest upgrade is wireless. So there's no RCAs or nothing. It's basically sends a signal to that spinning. So you can have anything that's spinning. And what's on your computer through Serato will play. Wow. Backwards. As long as it's spinning. So it's on there. So you have no problems with rumble, bad connection on the turntable. Can you imagine if we went and did our thing for Metallica and they would be like, oh, these turntables are bad. The RCA is, the R- one RCA is off. Oh my God, the needles are shot. Can you imagine how that, how that, how disastrous that would have been? Oh man. Uh, no, yeah. I, I can't imagine because there's 20,000 people in this arena. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Who didn't, who didn't want us there in the first place. So didn't imagine. know who the so, fuck we were. Right. Yeah. So imagine, so I bypass little bullshit problems like that. And I run, I used to run into those problems all the time because a lot of people don't use turntables anymore. They use a little controller thing. So I'm doing a gig after Tiesto was here last week. You guys got the gear that we sent for the rider? Yeah, we dusted off these Technique 1200s and here you go, the RCA's busted. The needles don't match. The cases are wonky. And now the show is less than two hours. Yeah. They got to find new equipment with this new technology, the phase situation. All I need is something that spins. Wow. That's wow. it. Wow. <laughs> That's it. That's crazy. No connections, no needles, no whatever plug and play for the most part. And we're rolling. And even, yeah, it's crazy. And even I, I use that and also use the rain 12 shouts out to rain with the rain 12. They're basically looks like turntables, platter and everything. No needle. The spins MIDI does the same thing with the phase, but with no little unit thing. The whole unit is one turntable and it's spinning. So that's plug and play. No frills, no nothing. So, um, yeah, I think Cypress Hill just got a set of those for me. So we started using those because in festivals, it's go time, bro. You don't have time to be adjusting no needles and all that other stuff. You don't have that kind of time. So those are the ultimate touring tools. And I stand by that 100%. Yeah. So no needles, no it's needles. Ju- it's just movement. And once you got the movement, then it's just, that's all you, cause you, it's all on computer. Now all your music's in your computer and these platters just are picking up on your MP3s on your computer and you're scratching and you're going back and forth and spinning back and everything and 99.9% accuracy. Wow. 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 Why, why go through the, you know, why go through the bullshit? Why on tour? That is for me, that is the only way because I've been on the other side. You know, if you're a new guy, I recommend you 
start with needles. I'm not trying to tell DJs, oh, just go straight to the newest technology, and, you know, Apple Music and get a lot of songs and you're a DJ. You're not a DJ. I'm talking from a learning perspective and doing, having those disastrous fucking shows and 20,000, 30,000 people and I got needle skips over here or needle problems or this needle isn't reading or this turntable is only playing on the left side. Who is interested in hearing some DJ complain about their equipment? We came to see a show. The only thing you know is DJ Lore is whack and he ruined that show. <laughs> we don't care about the needle and all. You know, see what I mean? So do you want to take that risk? Yeah. And at this level of my development, I can't do that anymore. No, no. 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 I can't do that. So this is where I am and keep up with te- technology or get left behind like the fucking dinosaurs. And I choose to keep up with technology. It's a beautiful thing. It's it, it blows my mind. I had no I would never have would imagine would have imagined that we would be here with this kind of technology with turntables. Out of all the needles I've broken, out of all the needles I've stolen when I didn't have money for needles, <laughs> out of all the needles I've ruined, out of all the needles, all of that, man. And now needles are expensive as fuck to buy. The needles are thanking you now, too. Like, thank you. Get off, get, <laughs> get stop, off me. Stop trashing me. <laughs> right. So now a lot of a lot of the dominant needle companies not even around anymore. You know, sure, they're not around anymore. Wow. You wow. can't even get the, the number one uh, needle that we were using for scratching, which was the M447. Wow. Now, yeah, resellers doing it, you know, di- different companies. But I mean, order fine, right. Order fine is still around, around. But I mean, dude, upgrade. Let's talk a little bit how we met. I think it's one of the magic, magic uh, stories in my life. Just a, first of all, loving public enemy, my entire, uh, the history of, of public enemy since the day I heard him. And then finding now coming out of a colonoscopy that I was mm. going to open for Metallica. I didn't really ask you how you were called or anything because I wanted to let everybody know, and I I talked about it before, but you and I didn't know each other at all. And basically, (laughs) when I get the call, do you want to do open for Metallica? I say yes and hang up. Like I said earlier to you, I didn't ask how much. I didn't ask what it was. I was honored to do it. And then later on, uh, four days later, when we meet, I'm like, what are what are we doing? And you're like, I don't know. I heard it's <laughs> I no this, idea. and I go, I heard it was this too. And uh, let's go there. And basically, in a matter of an hour of us knowing each other, we have to put together a chemistry and a show for twenty thousand people two nights, and in one of the greatest bands of all time, and mm. my fa- my favorite band, and to figure out something that is going to work that we have never done before. So let's get into it. How do you get the call and how far out did you know you were doing the gig? And was there somebody else before you doing the gig and they didn't do it? What happens with this? I got a call. I got a message from my manager, Lori Bula saying that um, basically, are you sitting down? Yeah. <laughs> One of those situations like um we're opening for Metallica. Yeah. And I'm like, bullshit. I'm like, no, 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 because um that opportunity happened before, but I was with 
uh, Prophets of Rage. So I couldn't do it. They, they had Mixed Master Mike on a different, it, it was actual tour opening. So when she told me this, I was like, nah, you, you're bullshit. She was like, I'm serious. And it's going to be like, it, I think it was like in in about two weeks. You had a, like, like a week's notice or something like that. Right. Two week, two week window that it was happening. And I was, I still couldn't believe it. I was like, she said, are you down? Are you in? I was like, yes, let's go. And and she told me back to back. I was like, nah, you gotta be kidding me, but I'm still in. I'm yeah. still in. And like you said, I just basically hung on the phone and it hit me like, open it for Metallica. Yeah. I'm opening for Metallica. And it's like, it started hitting me gradually as the date came closer. And um, that's how it basically uh, was, was um, presented to me. And I didn't know, you know, I think we were like first choice. They didn't have anybody else as far as like to compare and all that stuff. They were just down with it. Right. Right. Because she was finding out. I was like, are they down with that? I, I kept saying, oh, she's like, yeah, I'm going to verify and see everything. It's like, oh, they're, they're, their crew is awesome. And they're open to it. And they're, they want to make sure everybody shines. And they're, you know, they told me about the DJ booth and the idea. And they were open to my ideas. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely in. Let's run with this. Yeah. Yeah. So we... We stayed at separate hotels because uh, there was so many crew. We were next door to each other in different hotels, mm -hmm. but so we had not seen each other. And then there, I'm I'm in the van. We pick you up. We're rapping about some hip hop, my love of hip hop <laughs> and the flavor of the Bay Area and everything. That was dope. That was dope. Yeah. When we get to the arena, they're like, we're not ready for you there. We're there four hours early. We thought we'll just pop <laughs> over there for sound check and then we'll go back. And we meet. We meet with a couple of guys and they hand us this kind of paperwork kind of map of here's what we want to do. We want to have you do six minutes, DJ Lord 12, then introduce a video and we'd do that three segments. And we're like, oh, oh, oh okay, let's. <laughs> so you and I, we go out, we see your setup. It's a <laughs> massive round stage. You got this killer setup and uh, the drum kits in the middle and. We kind of sound check and and we uh, we get ready for the night. It's a long wait in the dressing rooms. And then, boom, it's time for us to go up. And I don't know what was going through your mind, but mine was like, all of a sudden, I was like, fuck, <laughs> I fucked this up. It's their 40 year party, you know, and the Dude. band band introduced us and brought us on stage it was crazy right? that was crazy bro I, everything was going in slow motion for me. I, I don't know whether you could tell yeah everything was going in slow motion for me even my responses were like yeah we can go there and the sound is going to be great <laughs> but it felt like i just felt like i was frozen in carbonite and like you said with the list and we had to come up with this and yeah. and yeah. And you didn't know me and I didn't know you. And we didn't know each other. So it was just like, okay. Yeah. We kind of kind of start chatting and we try to chat in the middle of all this chaos. And we was like, okay. And I was like, he's cool. He's just, let's just, let's just go with it. And um, yeah, let's roll. Yeah. Yeah. Where, 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 where are we rolling to? I, I don't know, but let's roll. <laughs> let's yeah. roll. It's yeah. happening in like two hours. I'm just firing things at you. I think we can do on the fly. Like, Man, when I, when a joke doesn't fly, you can kind of just like, dunk, 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 dunk. like we, 
You could be like my my uh, Ed McMahon <laughs> over there, like blah blah blah, you know. And you're that like, man, crazy. it doesn't work like that, man. You gotta get, <laughs> I gotta get this shit going. And, and, I, and I'm forgetting you still have to do your fucking thing, and I'm right. like trying to establish my survival, you know, because I don't have any loud music. So it was, uh, and there's sharks everywhere. We're ooh. surrounded by sharks. Oh. Oh, Jeez big Louise, sharks, dude. big great, sharks, great whites, great whites. Jeez Louise, dude. Yeah. That was pressure. That was pressure. That was pressure. It was the most pressure of my entire life. I, I, it took a long time to come down from that. And it, mm-hmm. um, and I realized once you say yes, and then you get to the arena, you realize, oh, Oh, I'm actually got to do this now, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, like yourself, I think the thousands of gigs that I've done had gotten me ready for anything that was going to happen. And shit was happening. The video right. stopped working because uh, yeah. c- they wanted me to introduce videos. And then the server went down. Then the server went down. That was crazy, too. So that put more pressure on us to figure out some other stuff to do. Yeah. Even if we had a plan to slam the ball this way, had a switch and come this way, we had to pull a Jordan. That was crazy. It, re- it really was crazy, right? And the first night was just kind of chaotic. Of course, I was just realized, oh, once the server went down, now I became kind of this hype man. And I, I was just trying to arena tricks of like, mm-hmm. let me hear the cheap seats, you know, and, right. and, and that, that wasn't working. And, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, these people from around the world. So local reference jokes aren't working and you just start to try to figure it out. And by the end of our first night, we did figure it out. We got out of there, but there was definitely a, uh, uh, a, a mode of let's fucking go out kicking ass on the second right. night. Yeah. Hell yeah. We weren't yeah. having it the second night. No. We weren't no. having that shit the second no. night because we no. already figured out and, and spat that blood out from the night previous. You know, we were ready. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wanted to thank you also because I am a 99.5% positive guy. Um, but when the you know the hometown newspaper said that I got booed off stage which was a total lie. That was some bullshit. That was some bullshit. I uh, posted it up and I was angry. And then you were like, nah, man, nah, <laughs> let's not, let's not go with that. And you were right because that's how I would have handled it. Also like, nah, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my first, my first reaction was pull out the gun and shoot, you know? <laughs> right. Don't give, that saw- food, don't give them that satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting to have somebody say that, and he, look, I know about fake news because of the politics we're in now and everything. But when you're making up stuff about a performer, then it's just like, oh, well, it just comes with the territory. You're going to get mm-hmm. that. What are you, you going to do, man? You, if you choose to perform, there's going to be uh, positives and negatives. And that's right. And thank God on that, too, because if everybody loves you, you're doing something wrong. You know, you're doing something very wrong, yeah, bro. Yeah. And yeah. Like I said, haters going to hate. Yep. Yep. Oh, what was that thing you said about hate goes to another level or something on your, uh, like on your Instagram or Twitter or something? It was great two days ago. Something hate. Hold on. Let me find that. It was good. Hold on. Um, DJ. Lord. I come up what? with these things out yeah. of my mind. 
which by the way, everybody follow him. DJ Lord official on uh, Twitter. Twitter. And I think that's the same on uh, Instagram. It was DJ Lord on Instagram. Yeah. And great, great stuff on here. Uh, shit. I wanted to find that. It was something about haters. I loved it. It was. Oh, um, something about levels. And once you get to certain levels, yeah. don't think that. Oh, gosh. Right, right, right. That was it. It was the some levels of hate go up also. or whatever. Yeah. Just because you get to the next level doesn't mean that. Here it is. I got it. Don't think that just because you made it to the next level that the haters and naysayers disappear. Remember, new levels bring new devils. I love that, man. That's Steve, real talk. Steve Marabali. Steve Marabali. That's real talk. Yeah, it's yeah. It's funny. Um, what I don't think people understand is the level of pressure that that gig was. And I'm not going to sit here and, and look for some kind of like, well, you know, you try it, but it is one. I mean, this is a band's 40 year anniversary. This is their party. And they asked, asked you to be part of it. And you just want them happy. Look, if the audience dug it, cool. But I was more concerned that the band went, that was cool, man. You know? Right. Right. And they did. Yeah, they did at that party. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, they were so yeah. good to us. And hats off to Metallica for always saying, fuck you. We don't do what you guys want us to do. We need to constantly try different stuff. We're not robots. We want to constantly try different shows. And to me, that is the greatest thing about this band. They've constantly had the people like, well, they sucked when they cut their hair. Well, they mm -hmm. sucked when they did a record with uh, Lou Reed. So, well, right. they say, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever you say, man. whatever you say, buddy, we'll be here. Yeah. 40 <laughs> years, 40 years. Yeah. You know, have you done anything for 40 years? That's right. Yeah. So that's that second night, though, I would say it was pretty magic. I figured out I don't need to be up there when you're on, you know, right. You you're up there doing your thing and the videos worked and the audience right when you and I walked on. I remember looking at you and saying, oh, this audience is better. This is it. This is it. We felt it as soon as we got up there. It was like, okay, we're gonna take, we're gonna take it to him, bro. And I fist from us like, yo, we're gonna take it to him. Yeah, yeah. It was a whole different kind of vibe. It was. I got goosebumps right now. Actually, I can feel it because <laughs> I felt like Rocky. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, fucking dun 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 dun. dun, dun. We're gonna we're, here we come again, round two. You know? Round two. Spit that blood out. And it's easy to easy to say, well, the videos didn't work. Then it got clunky and it got, kind of fell apart. But, you know, those are fucking boomerangs that were thrown at us. And the people on the outside don't understand. We didn't have months to put together a, a, a show. Uh, we had a no. few a, a week or so and we didn't know each other. We didn't know each other. So the chemistry thing wasn't, you know, wasn't already pre-planned. We got there and we made that happen. Yeah. And luckily, you know, you're easygoing. I'm easygoing. We got good energy and we just meshed like that. It could have been much worse. Oh, it could have been much worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I tell you what, man, I am so happy that I shared that memory with you because 
As I went home that night after the party ended at like four, I laid down in bed for a couple hours before the airport. I just laid there and thought like no cooler dude to do it with than mm. you. It was, yeah. it, it felt magic, Same. man. That Same, second night when we rocked it and got off, you and I walked straight up the dressing room. <laughs> and we were like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> jumping up and sitting, we're right. like yeah that went off and i, I mean i knew it was going to go off when i started doing like eight minutes of comedy or seven minutes of comedy one good straight run of comedy and it was working it was, was working like, oh they're listening these guys are popping yeah it was popping it was popping dude and we 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 made that happen and um you remember the vibe when we got off stage and everyone was like no the walk through back to backstage and the left right people all over there that was crazy too it was it was that was crazy it was you guys killed it yeah Yeah. night and day the first night they were like you know, we still had that, but they weren't like that. They weren't like yeah. the home team champions running through there. No, we were the first night. We were like an opening band that did okay. You yeah. know what I mean? We got it done. We got it done. And Lars said the greatest thing at that after party. He's like, see, you know, second night, you guys figured it out. Then, you know, tomorrow, if we were on tour, we would be in uh, Fresno and it would get a little better and we would get better. And then by Said the that. time we hit Phoenix, we would be a fist just mowing people down, you know? And I was like, he's right, man. He's right. He's right. Cause he's you and I, correct. after a week or so, would have figured that shit out and it would oh, yeah. have been monstrous. Oh, yeah the 40 year anniversary weight would be off our shoulders and it'd be like, let's just rock this. Right. Know? Let's just rock this. It's another fucking arena. Let's yeah. go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just like yeah. that. Yeah. Just like that. You're right, bro. We jumped in, we jumped in there and like, let them have it. Yeah. 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 It was magic, man. It was I'm magic. So happy. I'm so happy you shook, shook off that freaking idiot, whoever that was. I'm glad you shook that idiot energy off. Dude. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you talk, I was like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's <laughs> funny, too, because, you know, to say, you know, you know, you got booed off. I'm like, you know, you know, the show's recorded, right? I mean, right. it's documented. You can't just make stuff up like that. But you know what? You're right. And uh, that's the world I come from. Also, keep you know, promote what's great, not what you hate, and right. just keep moving on. You know, so it was. Uh, and also, I got a great friend out of it. You, so it's just amazing to uh, it up. It was funny too, as I was doing comedy. <laughs> you had not heard me do comedy. I did one joke. I think it was the Elton John one. I looked over and you were laughing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, because he's never heard my comedy, so this is funny, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to focus on what I'm doing here. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> God damn it, Gene. Put that back on. That was funny shit, man. That was funny. Also, I want everybody to know that you are, uh, last, uh, when I had um, Cypress Hill on, uh, you were not the DJ for them. I think it was uh, Mixmaster Mike had come back. And now you are spinning with them. So this congrats on that. You're spinning on two of the greatest ever. How did that happen? Full power. Um, I mean, you know, Cypress, we've always been family. Even, even when I was DJing for Public Enemy, we were seeing each other on the road. And it was always like a family affair. I think the last gig was uh, we were all in Milan. 
And, you know, we invite them, invite them to our show. They invite us to their show. I think this particular one, we were on the same bill. So it was a serious family affair. Wow. But Be Real and I got real, real close from the Prophets of Rage thing, the Rage Against the Machine, Cyprus and Public Enemy collaboration. And B, B and I hang, B and I hang, would hang tough on the road, bro. You know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, super yeah. tough. And um, we already, so we already had the chemistry thing. So the date that Mike couldn't make, B asked me, you know, if if you, you know, if, if you clear, could we bring you out, you know, to DJ for a few gigs? I said, well, of course, bro. You know, you set them up, I'll knock them down. Yeah. And um, I just, you know, I click with Sindog, I click with Bobo, click with the management. And um, the rest is history. So he said, yo, man, I was at the last Prophets of Rage gig ever. And at the Mayan. Yeah. The two shows at the Mayan. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I got to tell you, man, I thought that that was one of the most fantastic mixes of metal and hard rock and hip hop that I'd ever seen. And I've seen all the collabs. I've seen the Public Enemy and mm-hmm. uh, Anthrax. And, you know, of course, the the run DMC and uh, Aerosmith and all that. I've seen them all over the years, but that thing, what I liked about that was both groups had massive, massive success. Mm -hmm. And the way the flow of the concert went where it was like profits of rage. And then the guys left the stage for a while and you've got some PE and Cypress hip hop. The hip hop set. This shit was fucking great, man. <laughs> I mean, you're getting fight the power. You're getting rock superstar. You know, you're getting, uh, you know, all of the greatest of them. And these two incredible hip hop legends up there. It's just, uh, oh, man, it, it was great. Great, great gig. It was man. heavy, bro. We, um, we, 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 um. We knocked we knocked a lot of shit out the park with that with that collaboration, man. The, that, that was a that was a, a heavy four years, heavy yeah. four years. Yeah, and they had hits on their their record, man. They had hits with yeah. Prophets of Rage, you know. Yeah, we we were just coming into our own, you know. We we um we started with a sound, and we were we were looking for our sound. You know, we had the Rage Against the Machine sound. We had this, and. So we had to do those songs, but the songs we were recording, we were slowly coming to our own. You know, as a matter of fact, we had, we had just brought, um, we had just enlisted Rick Rubin wow. for our next level wow. before it got, you know? Right. So who knows where it, where, where it could have been. And we already had Brendan, Brendan O'Brien for the first album. He's a killer. He's, He's the best. Killer. He, exactly. So you got, you got Brendan, you got Rick Rubin, and we were just going into Rick. Man. recording our new stuff so what was that what was that hit i loved it the 110 freeway uh oh my god what's uh, that living on the 110 Fuck. living on the 110 yeah yeah that song is great man yeah that, about la's home homelessness problem yeah those two voices together too just the sound of them you know how they play off of each other you know mm-hmm. it's, it was just a fantastic mix up and you know uh brad wilk one of the greatest drummers ever so Hmm. holy shit just up there just playing some of the greatest funky beats you know heavy heavy yeah Yeah. heavyweight business yeah well i gotta tell you man it's uh honor to talk to you and uh you have a space in my uh in my heart that i'll never forget 
And you have a space in my heart without yeah. forgetting. And we fucking we share that we share that nights those two nights together and that weekend. And uh, and uh, what a lot of people don't know is DJ Lord did the gig on the Friday night and then got up at 7 a.m. and flew to L.A. to do the massive <laughs> oh, hip hop festival in L.A. Cypress, yeah. And flew back and did the gig um, on Sunday with Metallica. So a lot of people don't even know, man, this guy was on the move on Saturday. I was in bed like. I got to get this right. I got to get this fucking thing hitting, man. I was in bed all day trying to figure out how can I get this thing mm-hmm. fucking great. Meanwhile, you're shaking it off out there in LA. At a Dude, I had, I had to keep moving. <laughs> I had to keep moving, man. Yep, yep. I had to keep moving. I was like, I need to put this over here. Yeah. And now I got to bring this one back over here because I can't, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't stop. That whole nother, a whole nother version of hip hop don't stop. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It, it, it just doesn't. Tell everybody where to find you. You got Instagram and Twitter. Got Instagram under DJ Lord. Um, got Twitter on the DJ Lord official on YouTube, DJ Lord, uh, DJ Lord TV. You can find me there. You can find me on Public Enemies. You can find me on Cypress Hill. And you got a documentary, right? Turntable Chronicles. That's an old, old, old. I forgot about that too. Yeah, that's an old, old, old DVD that I put out. Probably that's cool though. Probably can't find it, but um, yeah, I did that. Um, got a lot of things jumping off right now. Got a lot of got a lot of collaborations happening. Look for me on the new Cypress Hills album. Late scratches for that coming out this year. Um, look for me with collaboration with Chuck D in the future. Wow. Under, yeah, Chuck and I got some things on our sleeve. Um. My partner, 3PO, shouts out to 3PO. We're working on some stuff. My partner, uh, P.O.D. Cody, we're working on some stuff, like on some uh, mosh tape style stuff. We we I released like a, we released a hip hop rock series mixtape when I was with Prophets of Rage. I got to I gotta send those to you. It's called uh, mosh, mosh Tape, and it's a whole nother level. So yeah, just again, trying to stay busy, man. We got some touring happening with Cypress Hill. Everyone's trying to figure out what the world is doing, you know, in the current condition. It's just crazy in the industry and, and everything else for that matter. But um, yeah, check me yeah. out on Instagram. Check me out on Twitter. That's great. One last question. Uh, I forgot to ask you, but um, you did have an ex- uh, incredible uh, metal set for the Metallica show. Did you grow up on metal out there in Savannah, Georgia at the same time you're listening to hip hop or were you listening to all different music? What was going on with that? I was always listening to different music. Um, As far as the metal side, I had roommates that were into metal. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I had my hip hop thing and, you know, Greg and EMD would always be playing either Nirvana, which is where I came up with that Nirvana smell like Teen Spirit routine because EMD would always play. Smells like Teen Spirit, and that was always in my head. Greg always had the freaking gotta keep them separated, offspring, oh, yeah. and everyone. So yeah. yeah, so I give big props to them for introducing me to that side, and I just took a liking to it, and just it was always there. So even though I was heavily into hip hop, my ears were always open to like metal or that particular heavy sound that I could use in a routine for my DMC competition or itf competition or dj battles in general because everyone is on this not many people was on that yeah other you got other bullets in the chamber man exactly exactly so that's that's where that started and i just kept kept an ear for it and 
you know, once I got with Public Enemy and we did um, Confrontation Camp, which is which is another spinoff we did with the uh, rap and metal um, with Griff and Kyle, Kyle Jason and Chuck. Wow. wow. So, yeah. And then before that, I was with 420 Monks, which is um, Bones and um, Stuck Mojo. Yeah. If you remember that band and out of it. So I always had one foot in the rock world. Always. Awesome. Always. And then awesome. fast forward to Prophets of Rage and Rage Against the Machine, which is crazy because I would always put, you know, who do you want to DJ for? Oh, man, if I could only DJ for Public Enemy. Oh, man, that would be crazy. Boom. DJ for Public Enemy. Who else would you want to DJ for? Oh, Rage Against the Machine because I hear Tom. I know they, they don't use a DJ, but if I ever get that chance, man, boom, somehow Prophets. <laughs> of rage wow. and i think i think the only other one i had in mind like that was like the roots or something like that right. when i when i when i made those kind of uh predictions and saying those that wish list way back when i first started wishing i, I could ever dj for public enemy man because oh man i would kill it oh, oh man i'm fucking <laughs> like yeah and then i boom fast forward it comes to freaking fruition so I love it. Hey, I love hey. it. Well, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Hope to see no you worries, soon. Bro. And um, we will be crossing paths in 2022 for sure. Who knows? Maybe we get a call from Metallica again. And we're out there just fucking. That would be crazy. Yeah, it would <laughs> that be, would crazy. be crazy. Absolutely. Lars said he wants to do it again. I he know. He we're sitting on that couch. Remember that? I know. It's great. It's great. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. And thank uh, you, everybody follow this man. And in, it, I mean, he is just an artist and, uh, this, uh, this is a, a great day to talk to you. Thank you, man. Thank you, bro. Take care. All right. I'll see Peace. you, buddy. Yeah, man. Later.